0: Alright, y'all. If you were here a month ago, we did our first lesson on the Book of Daniel. And we're gonna be continuing for the next five weeks in the Book of Daniel, because we got five Sundays here in November. That's the benefit of starting on the first as November. So we're continuing our series, Babylon Living in Exile, on the Book of Daniel. Now let me give you some review because it's been a few weeks, so we need to remember a little bit about what we're talking about. First off, Babylon shows up in the Bible from the book of Genesis all the way to the book of Revelation. Babylon is a key idea and theme throughout the Bible. The first time it appears is in chapter 10 of Genesis, then again in chapter 11, it goes all the way into the end of the book of Revelation. Now, in the early days, at the very beginning, Babylon wasn't the huge empire that it was, but that's where the Tower of Babel was built, and nearby there is where Abraham came from before he moves to the Promised Land. And then in the end, In Revelation, Babylon has long been destroyed and is no longer a nation anymore. But the idea of what Babylon represented continues throughout time, even to today. It represents human kingdoms in contrast to God's kingdom. So every time that Babylon is mentioned, there's this idea of what happens when people try to take control of their own destiny. From the very beginning, with the Tower of Babel, they built a tower trying to reach up to the heavens... To show that they themselves were equal or as important as the gods were or as God is. And God confuses them and sends them away. And that idea continues through. So when we talk about Babylon, we're talking about any time that people get together. At first, we may do a really good job putting together a system. But at some point, have you ever, have you ever been part of something that started off great and turned out really bad? Have you ever had a partnership maybe with somebody? That you thought you guys could conquer anything, and the next thing you know, you're biting each other's heads off? We tend to do that, don't we? We tend to do that. And no matter how good our intentions are at the beginning, what humans put together without God always turns into Babylon. But God's kingdom is not the same. What was that last one to say? All Israel and Judah are now in exile. So, in the book of Daniel, where we're at today, it's time has passed since the people came out of Egypt and they've started a kingdom and the kingdom split in half into the northern and southern tribes, the northern tribes have been carried away and are gone forever. The southern tribes of Judah and Benjamin, there's some left, are now taken off into exile in Babylon. And so Daniel and his three friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, or their Babylonian names, Beltah, Shazar, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, are all in Babylon now in service to the king. If you remember last time, we talked about them eating the food, and they chose to eat vegetables and drink water, and they came out healthier, and God blessed them for it. Here's Babylon, here's Jerusalem, here's Ur, where Abraham's from. So there's a long trip to get over here, and we're pretty far away, but this is the region of the world where all the Bible story roots out of. Okay, today we're going to be talking about chapter 2. So if you've got your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn to Daniel chapter 2. We're going to be talking about The king's dream. King Nebuchadnezzar has this really disturbing dream one night. So he calls in all of his people. He calls in his wise men, his astrologers, his advisors, his magicians, everybody. And he says, I want you to interpret this dream that I've had. This dream is is really hurting me. It's really confusing me. I'm really uncertain about it, but here's the catch. Not only do you have to interpret this dream for me, you've got to tell me what the dream is too. Is that a hard challenge? <laughs> is that a hard challenge? You know, there's people out there that claim that they're things like psychics or, or mystics or all these other kinds of things, and you can tell them something and they'll make up something based on what you said, right? And that's what these magicians and wise men are hoping to do. They said, yeah, yeah, you got to tell us, so we can come up with something. Because they don't really know. They don't really know what's going on. And so Nebuchadnezzar gets so mad when they say this. And that no one can do it. that he says, that's it. Every single one of you are going to be put to death. I'm going to kill everyone in all of Babylon who's a wise man, who's an advisor, who's a magician, who's an astrologer. Because you guys know nothing. It's clear that you guys don't know anything. There's no point in keeping you around off with your heads or however they were going to kill him. Babylonians did some nasty stuff with killing, so it was probably not going to be good. But, ah, uh-uh, but, Daniel hears about this. He probably heard when the execution order came through, and he says, hold on, hold on now. Give me, give me a little bit of time. And so he goes and he prays, and he takes Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his friends with him, and they pray fervently. They pray through the night. They pray, God, would you reveal this to me? Because I know that there is only one who can reveal these kinds of things, right? And that's our God. And what does God do? God God gives him the interpretation. So we're going to pick up at verse 26 in chapter 2. And Nebuchadnezzar says, is this true? Can you tell me what my dream was and what it means? Daniel replied there are no wise men enchanters magicians or fortune tellers who can reveal the king's secret that's what you want to say going into the king right can you can you tell me nobody can tell you this right oh that's not good but there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets he has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in the future now I will tell you your dream and the visions you saw as you lay on your bed All right, you ready for this? If you guys haven't read the book of Daniel before, this is where stuff starts getting weird. In your vision, your majesty, you saw standing before you a huge, shining statue of a man. It was a frightening sight. The head of the statue was made of fine gold. Its chest and arms were silver, its belly and thighs were bronze, its legs were iron, and its feet were a combination of iron and baked clay. As you watched, a rock cut from a mountain but not by human hands. A rock was cut from a mountain, not by human hands. It struck the feet of iron and clay, smashing them to bits. The whole statue was crushed into small pieces of iron, clay, bronze, silver, and gold. Then the wind blew them away without a trace, like chaff on the threshing floor. Alright, so what just happened in the dream? Big statue, made out of precious metals and strong metals. A rock comes out of the air that's been cut off of a mountain, and it Breaks it into how small pieces? Just little chunks? Little chunks that the wind can blow away. How small is that? Is there much left? You're talking at best some gold powder. It's not going to be worth much when you find it, right? This is it's it's nothing. It's obliterated. But the rock that knocked the statue down became a great mountain that covered the whole earth. All right, what does this dream mean? That was the dream. Now we will tell the king what it means. Your majesty, you are the greatest of kings. In some translations it says, your majesty, you are the king of kings. And we say, hold on, that's a title we only use for God usually, right? Nebuchadnezzar is a great king, is what he says. The God of heaven has given you sovereignty, power, strength, and honor. He has made you the ruler over all the inhabited world, and has put even the wild animals and birds under your control. You are the head of gold. Just a side note here. Can anyone else remember another time when some human was put over everything on earth, including the animals and birds? Adam. Genesis chapter 2. In the garden. Two, it's two. It's two. (laughs) Genesis 2. Adam is given dominion over all of the world. So in God's original plan with people, they had control and dominion over all these things to make the earth flourish, okay? That's just a side note. You are the head of gold, but we're remembering back to these stories, and we're remembering what's going to happen with Adam later, right? So just keep that tucked away, because it's not this week. We'll get to that next week. But after your kingdom comes to an end... Is that what you say to a king? Yeah, you say, long live the king. May the king live forever. Not but after your kingdom comes to an end. But you know what? Nebuchadnezzar knows this reality. Nebuchadnezzar's father was the one who started the dynasty. Okay? So it hadn't been that long before, maybe in Nebuchadnezzar's own lifetime, that his kingdom and his throne had been established. So he understands that in the way things go in the world, that kingdoms rise, kingdoms fall. He's understood that, so he's not going to get mad at that. But what we're going to talk about, we're going to skip over a few verses, and we're going to talk about this interpretation of this that's highly debated. Now, a lot of times when we get in the book of Daniel, Daniel has a lot of apocalyptic prophecy in it, and that makes us all tingly or something with our senses, and we're going to try to line up world events with how things go. you got to remember this one thing when we're talking about apocalyptic literature. It was written for the people who were reading it originally. Okay? There's a lot of things we can glean from it, But if you're trying to map on the events of today to these things, you're going to get confused and you're going to go down the wrong path. This stuff was for the time it was written for. There's a great bit of wisdom we can pull out of it to understand the bigger scheme of how God does things. But Babylon, as the idea of human kingdoms, is what we pull from this. We don't try to map on these different things into today's reality. So I'm going to tell you the interpretation. There's a lot of different versions of this. This is the one I picked because it's, Nice and clean, but there's lots and lots of versions. We've got your gold. We're talking about the kingdom of Babylon. After Babylon comes the Medo-Persian Empire. We'll talk about them a little bit when we get to the end of the book of Daniel, or the end of our sermons on Daniel, because Persia takes over before Daniel uh, dies and while he's still going. After that, the bronze kingdom is Greece. Alexander the Great comes and he conquers all the known world, basically, at the time. Uh, Then he dies pretty quick after that because he gets sick in India and... Doesn't get to rule his giant kingdom that he conquered. After that, uh, iron and clay potentially represent the kingdom of Rome. What happens during the kingdom of Rome while Rome is the empire on the earth? Ah, yeah, that's right. Jesus comes during the kingdom of Rome. Is this the point? Nope. This isn't the point. This isn't the point of this. The point of this is not the statue, right? What happens to the statue? It gets turned to dust. That can't be the point. Verse 44 During the reign of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed or conquered. It will crush all these kingdoms into nothingness and it will stand forever. Do you hear that? Do you hear about this kingdom? That's the kind of kingdom we want to be a part of, isn't it? A kingdom that lasts. A kingdom that can crush the other kingdoms into nothingness. Does that mean it's violent and mean? Not really. It's going to reveal those kingdoms for what they are. Things that fall apart. This kingdom is forever. That is the meaning of the rock cut from the mountain. Though not by human hands, that crush to pieces the statues of iron, bronze, clay, silver, and gold. The great God has shown The great God was showing the king what will happen in the future. The dream is true, and its meaning is certain. So what's our key point from this? Kingdoms of this world end. Is that true? What kingdom has lasted forever? That's right. The kingdom of God is the only one, right? Are all the kingdoms that are around today going to last? They're not. God's kingdom. That's right, they're going to go splat. God's kingdom never ends. That's good, because you're attaching some wise and foolish builder there, too. And they're built on sand, aren't they? They're not built on the rock. That's a great connection, because what was the thing that got cut from the mountain? A giant rock that covers the whole earth. Then King Nebuchadnezzar threw himself down before Daniel and worshipped him, and he commanded his people to offer sacrifices and burn sweet incense before him. You think Daniel was too thrilled about that? Probably not. The king said to Daniel, Truly your God is the greatest of gods, the Lord over kings, a revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this secret. Does it sound like King Nebuchadnezzar gets it? It sounds like he does, doesn't it? For a second. Wait till next week. Then the king appointed Daniel to a high position and gave him many valuable gifts. He made Daniel ruler over the whole province of Babylon, as well as chief over all his wise men. Have we heard this story a little bit before? That's right, Joseph. Joseph, this is, this is very similar to the story of Joseph, right? Joseph interprets Pharaoh's dream about what's going to happen, and he gets put up to second in command in all of Egypt. That's basically what we've just seen happen to Daniel, as Daniel gets promoted, and now Daniel is over the kingdom of Babylon. God likes to work in strange ways. Dreams are a key thing when we're in exile, isn't it? All right. At Daniel's request, the king appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to be in charge of all the affairs of the province of Babylon while Daniel remained in the king's court. All right, so Daniel's gotten his friend's promotions. Following God's way has continued to increase their status in Babylon. Even though they are not succumbing, they're not choosing to be like Babylon, what's happening When they put God first, when they're praying to God, when they're asking God for direction, when they're remembering God's rules and God's way, what's happening? They're still, even in Babylon, that is not God's kingdom, finding themselves in better and better positions because God's way is the right way, right? God's way is the right way. So, like Daniel, here's our application. We make the most of opportunities to share God's truth with Babylon. Are we in Babylon today? It's not the name, right? But what does Babylon represent? Human kingdoms, right? So are we in Babylon? We're in Babylon today. All human kingdoms are Babylon. Do we, do we try to tear Babylon down? Is that, what, is that what Daniel does? He tries to come and rip it apart at the seams. No. What does he do? He... Speaks God's truth in Babylon. Do you ever hear things that you know are lies coming out of everywhere around us? Are there any things that you know are not right happening on the right and the left and the front and the back and the up and the down? Yeah, everywhere. What do we get a chance to do in all of this? We speak what God says, we're led by the scripture and the spirit. We're led by Jesus and the way Jesus lived on earth, right? And we get a chance every day to share that with the world around us because the world doesn't know. The world wants to do it, and they think that by the power of their own humanity, they can pull themselves up and make things perfect. What do we know is true? It's going to turn to dust. It's going to turn to dust. But we still get a chance To invite people where? Into the kingdom. We get a chance to invite people out of human kingdoms and into God's kingdom. And that's good news. Because of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, we can know that God's kingdom, which includes our future, is secure. What did Jesus do on the cross? What did Jesus do with his life? Was it just about sin? That's a big part of it. It's a big part of it because sin cannot stay in God's presence, right? And so we cannot be sinful with God. But it was about more. What did Jesus preach every time he was out preaching? Repent, for the kingdom of God is near or is here, he says sometimes. Jesus came to call people into something different into a different way of living, into a different way of being. And his death and God raising him from the dead as the firstborn of the new creation, as the firstborn of this new way that we're going to live, this new kind of kingdom that is here and isn't all the way here yet and that we still are longing for more of but that we're already getting to see some of, that's what this cross was about. Jesus defeats the way of humans doing things, right? Because what did humans do with their kingdom? They killed God. Was God going to let it be like that? No. Because God's kingdom lasts forever. The rock that never falters. The mountain that grows and takes over the whole earth. Is that good news? That is the best news. Let me read you from First Peter. We're going to be in First Peter as well. A few of these weeks, because there's some great stuff in First Peter. I think Peter might have been thinking about Daniel in some of these passages, especially what we're going to look at next week. First Peter two verse four says, "As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood." offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Have you ever found yourself... Embarrassed or needing to backtrack because you put your trust in something that people put together. (laughs) Has anyone ever failed? Have any leaders ever failed? Have we seen any scandals recently breaking out? Only a few a day, right? The one who trusts in him, in Jesus, will never be put to shame. Can we say that about anyone else? No. Can we say that about anyone in this room? That's why we don't put our trust in people. We're all headed toward Jesus, right? Together. And we've all got room to grow. Man, I failed big time yesterday. I had a huge moment that I needed to call on repentance. And I let my wife and daughter down bad. All right? I am not Jesus. Thank God God. I'm not Jesus. Thank God I know someone who I can put my trust in and be put to shame, right? So what's our big question for the day? Will you trust in God's kingdom? There's an election coming up, right? We don't know what the outcome's going to be. A lot of us have already voted. Is either of these candidates going to save the world? nope are you going to trust in God's kingdom but let me ask that different because this is the way we don't like to ask it do you want God's kingdom to reign some of us get some great benefits in this Babylon there's some things that Babylon does that are pretty nice for me am I going to be ready to let go of those things for God's kingdom I don't like asking that question as much because Jesus kingdom was different right you remember the book of Acts, what the people did. They shared with everyone. No one had need. The people who were rich lived as if they were poor so they could bless others. They went and, and loved radically. In the face of Babylon, in the face of Rome, they gave up their lives, were burned at the stake, were ripped in part by lions, were killed in the gladiator games, all these kinds of things. The one who puts their trust in him will never be put to shame. Will you put your trust in Jesus today? If you haven't put your trust in Jesus yet, if you haven't put your trust in the kingdom, if you are ready to never be put to shame, why don't you come as we stand and as we sing?